pray, shall we? Father, we pray as we pray every week for sanctification by your word. We desire it. We ask for it. We require your spirit for it. And so we pray united and in one accord to be changed and transformed by the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking about godliness. Um, as an individual topic, but it's, but I want to remind us that this is ultimately a study about our invitation and opportunity to walk in the divine nature. And um, that's ultimately um, taking hold of what Peter teaches, what, what the whole New Testament teaches on, but what Peter teaches on specifically in Second Peter chapter 1. He writes that by his, capital H, his divine power, God has given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness, to holiness, to the walk that we are called to, the walk that Christ modeled for us, the walk that the unbelieving world must see in order to see the Lord. Peter teaches that that is all available because God has promised us things. And so because God is faithful to give to all of us who have been authentically born again, which is to say we've had a moment in which we heard the gospel, we responded with true heartfelt repentance and in that moment we are regenerated meaning something new comes the old dies and something new comes and that new something is promised inheritances as adopted adopted children and two of those promises peter um says are great and precious and that by these we may become partakers in the divine nature so we're talking about godliness but this is ultimately because we've been given this miraculous amazing opportunity to partake in god's divine nature so The divine nature are within the divine nature or within these moments of walking within the divine nature, we will have perfect unity with the Father. We will have perfect clarity. We will have perfect obedience. We will walk in step with him and, and be useful to him. We will be what we've always been called to be as his image bearers as his people we will we will experience for moments what we will experience for eternity in the age to come this knowing the father in oneness with the father this just unity with him that's what the divine nature is all about. 
And, um, and within this teaching, we see that to the faith of hearing and understanding and responding to the gospel, we are to add virtuous living. To virtuous living, we, not, we add knowledge. To knowledge, we add self-control. To self-control, we add perseverance. And to perseverance, we add godliness. So godliness is where we are at right now, the topic of the day. And um, a, a reminder, the, the Greek word translated for godliness is euspia, and that word specifically means piety. Now, what does piety mean? Anyone remember? Devotion. Devotion. All right. Piety means devotion. It means um, a couple of thesaurus words for that could be, you know, similar to, to devotion. We've got fidelity or faithfulness. We've got dedication. So, so, um, so piety is really um, dedication to God based on our reverence for him. It's fidelity or faithfulness to God within the context of relationship with him. Or, you know, probably most specifically, it's devotion to God based on love. Our love for God expressed in devotion. So, so being a faithful witness and, and walking on the narrow path, actively uh, pursuing this virtuous living, these are all things that are fueled and motivated ultimately by our love for God. And devotion to him so that to me um, that's kind of an overarching idea and a uh, you know not a, not a worldview specifically but it's a but it's a purpose and a passion and a motivation that's real overarching but one of the things that I have found is that when when God is showing us something when it comes down to like really applying it and taking it from this worldview level to the real rubber hits the road, practical application time, I found it really, really helpful to, you know, to really look at the moments of decision that we engage in all day, every day. And so, so, so this is sort of how I'm thinking about it super practically, especially as it relates to application. Um, it's our love for God and it's our devotion to him that motivates our obedience at those key moments of decision. The, the obedience is the, the virtuous living. It's the, it's the living morally excellent living um, and walking in holiness as the God of the Bible defines it and describes it, that requires moment by moment choices and decisions, does it not? And so here's what the Lord is showing me. 
it's the whole um, aim small, miss small idea. You know, like, let's get really, really precise about what he is saying, especially as it relates to godliness. And it's this, I, I, I wrote it down and I want to make sure I, I, I say it correctly. Um, when, when we get to those moments of decision that happen all day, every day, throughout the day, we will have a choice in those moments between living virtuously or living worldly. All right, everyone think their mind. Situations or opportunities when something is going to happen and you have a choice to either respond with obedience and live virtually, uh, virtuously, or respond with disobedience and live worldly. So does everyone understand the, the moment that I'm talking about? The precise, they happen all day, every day, but there are moments when we have choices to make. It's not enough to just say we're going to live virtuously. That's an that's a overarching idea. I believe the Holy Spirit is saying, now let's think about it super practically and really precisely at the moment of decision. At the moment of decision, we have a choice to make. The choice is either going to be obedience or disobedience. And here's how he's teaching me godliness. When we make that choice, specifically when we make that choice to obey, it is not our commitment to obedience or our commitment to the law that fuels our motivation to obey. It is our devotion and our love for God that, you, that, that, makes that, motiv that, that motivates that choice. Does that make sense? It's a subtle, it's a subtle difference, but it's super, super important. So, so let me repeat it. Anytime we apply God's truth, it's always small, small, precise moments, rubber hits the road moments. This is where the walk of holiness is won or lost, right? This is where the virtuous life is had or missed. This is where purity and, and godliness, either we walk in it or we don't. In the, in the key moments, the crossroad moments that we have all day, every day, we have to make the right choice. Okay? What I am learning, what the Holy Spirit is convicting me of is in those moments when we make the right choice, it is not our commitment to obedience or our commitment to the commandments or our understanding of the law. That is not what motivates that correct choice. It is our love for God that motivates it. Everyone following me? Now, this was, um, this was really brought to, to light for me last week when we did that kind of that study on, you know, what's written on our foreheads. And um, just to recap quickly, in the Old Testament, there's a number of commandments that refer to the laws of God being written on our forehead. And as we talked about, I don't believe that that was meant to be a literal tattoo, uh, as, as Nick um, was trying to get me to, to do with him. Um, but that it was about having the laws of God on the forefront of our mind. And, and the, co the commandment was, you know, not just 
tattoo them on your forehead, have them written all over your house, talk about them with your kids when you're up and when you're down, when you're walking, when you're sitting, so on and so forth. It was just about the laws. The laws need to be understood. The laws need to be memorized. The laws need to be practiced. The laws need to be written down. The laws need to be on the forefront of your mind. And that was because God was sharing the way of holiness or sharing his commandments, his statutes, his precepts, and his judgments with people, right? People who are fallen and people who are rebellious and people whose flesh is at war with God, right? So the, the best that that group could manage would have been kind of white knuckle behavior modification type obedience. That type of obedience, there is only one focus and that's the commandments, right? Commitment to the law would be the motivation at any crossroads decision, at every moment of a decision where God's ways are going to be walked in or not. The only thing they had to go on was effort. Commitment to the law. So having the law tattooed on their forehead would be reasonable instruction. But in the New Covenant, we see a shift there is still the reference to the forehead, which I think still is all about what's forefront on your mind or the foremost uh, on your mind. But instead of the law in the second covenant, it's what? God. It's the name of God. So, so to me, that is that study. The Holy Spirit used that study to, to remind me that it's, it's not even enough to obey. You and I also have to obey from the right source. And, um, and what that study reminded me of is that the flesh is very capable of attempting to obey. The flesh is capable of seeking to keep God's commandments and walk in God's ways and, and really display um, what would be a form of godliness. The flesh is capable of trying to walk that out totally detached from the God of the Bible. Right, so that's why I say obedience is not even enough. The road keeps getting more narrow, doesn't it? And I've, you, you guys have heard me quote often 1 John chapter 2, um, beginning of the chapter where it says, if you say that you know God and you do not keep his commandments, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. Right? You guys have heard me reference that passage a lot. And God has used that passage to, to show us that as it relates to following God, the only way that we can know we are following the God of the Bible is by keeping his commandments, right? That's what that text says. Now what the Spirit is showing us is just keeping the commandments, however, is not enough. Now we have to examine why we keep his commandments. We have to examine at that moment of decision, what is it that's causing us to make the choice to obey? Because if the at the moment of decision, if our choice to obey is something other than our love for God, something's wrong. 
Everyone hearing that? So let's, let's read a, um, a text that I think Paul explains exactly this. Um, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and if someone wouldn't mind reading for us verses 1 through 11. Okay, so this is um, this is such a powerful text that is that is very often taught, used to teach an absolute deception, right? And that deception would be what do you think? The deception is basically against the commandments of God, right? It's, it's basically saying, look at Paul. He, he kept the law with zeal, right? He kept the law with, with passion and with commitment. You know, he was the best of the best as it relates to God's commandments. And yet here Paul is saying all of that was rubbish, right? That's a, that's a, that's a good passage, if your desire is to teach that the commandments of God are no longer necessary or that the ways of God have been done away with or that the law of God is no longer for any who are ultimately born again. Okay, but what is Paul actually saying? What's he actually saying? Okay, in particular, why? Because he was keeping the law entirely in his flesh entirely in his flesh he was committed passionate about disciplined regarding and even zealous regarding the commandments of god totally in his flesh and he said that is what is rubbish compared to knowing the lord do you see the difference it's subtle but it's super important what is rubbish, Paul is saying, is not the law. What is rubbish is attempting to keep the law without knowing the Lord. It's so big, guys. This is the whole revelation regarding godliness. 
Godliness is about source. Godliness is about why we do what we do. What, what is the motivation? Right? What was Paul's motivation? It was the law. Right? It was the form. It was the, it was the commandments. It was rightness. Right? Did he have discipline? Absolutely. Did he have zeal? Yep. Was he committed? Yep. Did he study God's ways? Probably way more than you and I ever will. He, you know, so much right, except the only thing that matters. And that's ultimately what we need to hear Paul communicating because he starts this passage with what? There's absolutely no sense in having any confidence in your flesh. Yeah. Right? So this is to anyone who thinks, I can fake my way through this. I have no piety, piety towards God, but I can still keep his commandments. I have no love for the God of the Bible, but I can still walk in his ways. Dang. I mean, this is so convicting to me, so super convicting. Paul did all of those things, and then when he met the Lord, and when he saw the truth, he realized that all those works in the flesh were worthless. All those works in the flesh were rubbish. So to any who are not born again and believing that because they keep the Sabbath, they're somehow okay, Paul says have no confidence in that. They're not born again, but they, you know, have some other form of godliness, no confidence. Everyone hear that? Yeah. It's super, super big. So, um, so it, it just reminded me this morning as I read that, that first and foremost, um, the attempt of the flesh to keep God's ways has always been present, right? It was present in the Old Covenant, and it was literally the whole Old Covenant story, the whole Old Testament testimony that was all entirely intended to point out the need for a Savior, right? It was, it was present at the time of Christ. Paul was the, or Saul at this point, was the perfect example, right? Adherence to all of God's commandments. A Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, a Benjamite. So zealous that he was doing what? persecuting and killing the church you know and that example is the one that i hope burns into our into our conscience here's a guy that was zealous about the commandments killing what god loves the most disciplined about god's ways zero relationship with the god of the bible It's totally available to us to fall into that same trap. So as I've talked about the road getting narrower, now God is saying, yes, if you know me, the God of the Bible, you will keep my commandments. Paul is not talking about the commandments being rubbish. Let's be super clear about that. 
He's talking about obedience outside of relationship. He's talking about obedience sourced by anything other than godliness. That's what's rubbish. That's fake. That's behavior modification. That's hypocrisy. That's the false church. That's the false bride. That's what's rubbish. Paul is not talking against the commandments. He is not talking against the law. Where was I going with that? I can't remember. Yeah, it will. Um, oh, yeah, the narrow path. So, it's, so, so just keeping the commandments is not enough. Everyone see where the, where the Lord is going with this? It's not enough to keep the commandments. Now we have to judge the fruit about why we are keeping them. It's just amazing how when, when God is truly speaking, nothing, nothing can be hidden. There is nothing hidden. Everything gets exposed. He's no longer talking to us about keeping the commandments. Now, he's, now we're going deeper. Now he's asking why. Why are you keeping them? What's your motivation? And I don't even want you to think theologically. I want you to think about the precise moments when decisions are being made to obey God's commandments, which is amazing. That in and of itself is rare, but it ain't enough. Now he's saying, now why are you making that choice? Because the, because the why and different whys produce different fruits. And that's what, we, that's what we finished with last week, right? Matthew 23, in which almost every paragraph starts off what? Three terrible words. Woe to you. Right? Matthew 23 is all about the fruit that comes when you try and keep God's commandments outside of relationship with him. What could potentially be those motivations? You guys tell me. What could potentially be motivations to keep God's commandments outside of piety towards God? Accolades. Accolades. What else? Pride. Pride. What else? What's that? Mm-hmm. Guilt. 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 Mm-hmm. Theological rightness. Guilt. This isn't a word, but the wanting what you see in authentic to be so with the flow. Absolutely. Did that not happen in Acts? <laughs> what was the guy in Acts that saw what was going on and said, I want to buy that? Simon. Simon. Yeah. That's a perfect example of everything that's been said. Accolades, pride, recognition. I want the best seats at the feast. I'm going to make long prayers in public. I'm going to kill it with my Facebook posts. In my... <laughs> 
in my Jesus bumper stickers. Right, there are numerous reasons. Talk about aim small, miss small. Talk about how precise and how exposing the word of God truly is. What God is showing me is none of that stuff fools me. None of it fools me is what God is saying to me. I'm not fooled by any of that stuff. And whereas the world itself might give those persons that in their flesh are keeping God's commandments, where the world may be faked, God will not be. And so what he wants all of us to know is he won't be faked. So we need to be very clear about why we're obeying. You hearing this, Sass kids? This is super important. He's bringing a big old spotlight on why we obey. What's your why? What's your motivation? Is it because mom and dad told you to? Is it because your friends are doing it? Is it because you want recognition? Because guess what? If your mom and dad told you to, it's not a bad reason. And guess what? If you have friends like you guys do and your friends are doing it, that's not a bad reason. Right? But God is, he's getting real personal with each of us. There's one reason why we obey. First and foremost, bless you. And that primary reason is because we love the God of the Bible. And we are devoted to him. And we are faithful to him. And we are committed to him. And we revere him. And when we obey from that place, the fruit is beautiful. When we obey for any other reason, the fruit is rotted. And the rotten fruit that we spoke about last week, that each of those woe to use, you know, we just summarized some of them. This sort of summarized most of them, but, but let me just remind us, the obedience will be close to God's ways, but always slightly off. What's an example of that that one of you guys can think of? Anyone, anyone think of an example? Good. Perfect. Perfect example. It's just going to be close. It's going to be really close. It's going to sound close. It's going to appear close. It's going to appear godly. Right? Just little additions. Right? The, the, the one-offs are always little additions or little subtractions. Right, which is why the word of God so precisely commands us to never do what? Add or take away. Why? Because that's how godliness fools. Not just the public, but more importantly, the person faking it. 
right? The one-off is going to be, I'll swear by the, I'll swear by the gold that's in the temple, right? I'll swear by the offering that's on the altar. There's always like a dotted line to God. It's just a one-off. It's always sounds good. It's close. It's close, but never quite, right? It's done pridefully and always used to draw attention to self. First three or four things mentioned, 100% right on. When the flesh, the flesh is obeying God's ways, it's never because the flesh loves God. How do we know that? Because that's what the Bible teaches. The flesh is the enemy of God and at war with God. The flesh cannot submit to the law of God, nor will it ever. Spiritual things are foolishness to the flesh. So make no mistake about it. The flesh will never obey God's ways to love and honor God. It's always only going to do it to draw attention to self. Right? Were the Pharisees doing this? Yep. It was the, maybe the thing that Jesus highlighted the most. Right? It's always self-focused. It's always self-centered. It's always self-preserving. So let's look at a quick story. The Lord just reminded me of this this morning. It's actually something we've looked at in the past um, of what this looks like super, super practically because it can be very easy to identify written on a board like this. Um, but what's it look like practically? What's it look like in a, in a real life story? Let's, let's read and, and see if we see each of these examples. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 10 through 26. Okay, uh, the, the context, real quick. We know that um, this is just after the times of the judges. And as an outflow of the roller coaster that Israel was on during those 400 and some odd years, they make a request, and their request is what? Give us a king, because we want to be like everybody else. And so God says, all right, I'm going to give you what you want, but it ain't going to go well. And they give, and he gives them King Saul, not to be confused with Saul, Paul of the New Testament. And um, one of the first things that God asks Saul to do is what? Go wipe out the Amicalites or whatever they're called. Right? They abused God's people during their Exodus journey, and so God was getting ready to bring judgment upon them. And the instruction to Saul regarding this people group was to do what? Total destruction. Right down to his very words were kill every man, woman, child, and animal from this people group. All right, so God is very precise about exactly what he wants and exactly the assignment that he gives to King Saul. King Saul goes and carries out that assignment in the flesh. 
How do we know he did it in the flesh? That was his only option. All right, so let's hear what it looks like when the flesh carries out obedience. When the flesh obeys, this is what it sounds like. Starting in verse 10, if someone wouldn't mind. Okay, so let's pause right here. Have we already seen much of this list manifest? How? Okay, so the first so the first thing he did after he went and obeyed in his flesh is he, he makes a monument to himself. Why? Because anytime the flesh obeys, it's always for the purposes of the flesh and the pride of the flesh and the recognition of the flesh. So even though it was God's assignment and God's commanded uh, details for the purposes of God, when Paul, or I'm sorry, when Saul carried it out in his flesh, he made it about himself, right? We're talking about judging fruit. Fruit of what? Obedience in the flesh. When do we obey in the flesh? When we're obeying for any reason other than loving the God of the Bible. The list could be long. That's why we don't necessarily study the list. We look at the fruit and we know the one solution. All right, so he makes an altar, a, a monument to himself. Then what? He destroys everything but the best. Okay. So he's close to God's ways, but slightly off. Right? It's like, I'm sure in Saul's mind, 99% obedience. Yeah. And, and in this case, I just did it a little bit better. Right, because I'm gonna I'm gonna sacrifice the best to God, so I just did it a little bit better. So that's like a God's ways plus one. There's also God's ways minus one, but it doesn't matter. It's it's always gonna be close to God, but slightly off. What else? I like in verse thirteen comes comes back, and what's the first thing he says? I obeyed. I obeyed the commandment, right? When you obey in your flesh, you always lead with that. Look at me. Look what I do. Yeah. Announce it. Make it your identity, right? These are, these are just the fruits of obedience for the wrong reasons, obedience sourced for the wrong reasons. Okay, so let's continue the story now. Kirby 16. All right, verse 
Okay, so, so um, so in that text, we get Samuel's correction and his teaching ultimately, right? And, and regarding God's commandments and regarding what God desires, he says super clearly, it's just obedience, right? Obedience is better than sacrifice. He doesn't, he doesn't expect you to add. He doesn't expect you to take away. He just wants you to obey. I get, um, I got a new Bible Yay. Seth and Val gave me. And this is a Spurgeon study Bible. So what's kind of cool about it is um, in many of the stories in Scripture, there's little excerpts from Spurgeon's sermons from the past, yeah. which I just have always been, I've always really respected him as a, as a preacher and as a truth, truth teller. Mm. This is what he says about this particular uh, story. He says, um, be it ever in our remembrance that to obey the, and, but to obey and to keep strictly in the path of our Savior's commands is better than any outward form of religion and to listen to his precepts with an attitude with an attune and I'm sorry an attentive ear is better than to bring the fat of rams or anything else which we may wish to lay on his altar just I just like how he says things Okay, so Saul, in his flesh, obeys close, he immediately draws, seeks to um, draw attention to himself, and now we're going to get the final piece, yeah. Yes. So defensiveness is going to be a fruit that will um, uncover, expose right, right now. Kirby, let's finish this. Last, last couple of verses.
Okay, so because the, se the flesh is always self-focused, self-centered, and self-preserving, if there is ever an exposing of it, there's always, it's always going to be met with defensiveness. Right? What is one of the key um, elements of, of self-preserving is people-pleasing. That's always going to be... That's always going to be present when you're when you're looking to preserve self. That will often manifest in people pleasing. So, from a from a real practical standpoint, to, to Diane's point, if if the obedience is in the flesh, and it's exposed, they will often, for the sake of self preserving, there will often be a throwing <laughs> under the bus of someone else. Right, that's commonly going to be the case, and if the and if the um, and if the disobedience to the Lord is in the flesh, what we also see here is it will often be because um, someone else holds more sway than God does. Right, because this is about devotion, ultimately. And the flesh's devotion is to flesh. And therefore, if I can preserve self by pleasing my spouse, I'm going to do that. So these are, these are um, I think, fine examples of one particular story that highlights sort of how the fruit looks in real life pretty, pretty well, pretty beautifully. Yeah. And ultimately, um, you know, a verse we've, we've read many times is um, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. I'll read this one real quick if I can find it. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parent, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Wow. So think about Paul. Think about Saul. Wow. Is it possible to have a form of godliness? Based on keeping God's commandments in our flesh? Totally possible. Right? But, but that form of godliness, what do you think Paul means when, when he talks about, or Peter means when he talks about, but denying its authority? 
To, to what? To, 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 yeah, to what the commandment actually means. Right? So there will be this form of godliness that's not based on devotion to God. It's not based on love for God. It's not based on commitment to the God of the Bible. It's based on any other source. There will be a going through the motions, right? But it will have no, ultimately, it will have no authority in their life. So, so those acts, and I use that word specifically because, because what Jesus says about those who are carrying out those acts, he just describes them with one word, hypocrite. Over and over and over and over. Who is he describing as hypocrites? Those that are attempting to keep God's ways in their flesh. Everyone here and what's coming. Everyone convicted by what's being taught. Because the conviction, I believe, is meant to lead and ensure that this congregation walks in the truth. Right? And the truth, ultimately, is that if... This category is in place correctly, which means what? Each of us are being motivated at the moment of decision, at the moment of choice, at that time of action. Each of us are being motivated to obey in that moment because we have a, a love for the God of the Bible that is first and foremost because we are born again. Right? It has to be that way for sure. Ye must be born again. None of this matters. None of this is possible without that. If we have been reconciled back to the Father through Christ... If that relationship is in place and that relationship is being nurtured by first works, which is what? Intimacy with God. Right? It's our it's our one-on-one -on -one real relationship with the God of the Bible. As as that relationship is nurtured by intimacy, nurtured by our first works, nurtured by being with him, this, this love for that God is intended to like literally bubble out of us, flow out of us, fill up and overflow onto everyone we encounter right now will that include walking in god's ways a hundred percent right and it is only 
by walking in God's ways that we can truly love as Jesus loved. Right? Remember, Jesus never once tells us to love. He always only says, love as I have loved. Right? So how did Jesus love? Perfect alignment with the God of the Bible. Perfect obedience to the God of the Bible. Right? The virtuous life lived out exactly as we are invited. So there is this incredible fruit that comes from obedience sourced by godliness that is absolutely beautiful. Right? And, and to where each of these will be the fruit of obedience sourced with the flesh, obedience sourced by the, by the Spirit, which has got true godliness from a biblical definition, it's going to be pretty much the flip side of these. So our obedience will be perfectly aligned with God's ways. Right? Specifically what is written. And that protects us from saying, well, my Sabbath is on Wednesday. Right? It's just obe it's obedience. I hate to go back to the murder everyone example, but that is an example. Actually, murder wouldn't be the right word. Kill everyone. Right? When we are sourced by the Spirit as an act of devotion rooted in a love relationship with the God of the Bible, our obedience will be with what's written, not a one-off, not a close to it. Our obedience will be done humbly, and it will be used to point attention to God. Not attention to self, all, all eyes on God. And it will be ultimately others-focused, other-centered and others-preserving. So you see why it's so critical what God is, is teaching us right now, why it's so important for all of us to recognize that just obeying is not enough. It's not enough for us. He's grown us up. It's not enough just to keep the Sabbath because everyone else does. Now we have to truly judge why are we really doing what we do. And what I hope we all begin to see is that because we have true piety towards the God of the Bible, devotion to him based on love, because we have first works that are in place, we have a real vibrant, intimate one-on-one -on -one relationship with the God of the Bible. We have such love for him that that, that that is what fuels our obedience. And because it's what fuels our obedience, we don't add or subtract. We do it humbly and, and use it to, to give attention to God. And, and the manifestation of those things will be this love for others that is beautiful. a drastic and stark difference between 
the flesh's obedience to the same commandments. So remarkable to me. So to godliness, we add what? By the way, as it relates to obedience sourced by a true love for God, and each of these examples, can you think of anyone that displayed those? Did Jesus not display each of those absolutely breathtakingly beautifully? Okay, so um, the Bible has lots to say about brotherly kindness. And we're going to dig into that a little bit. So you have some homework. Are you ready? Oh, I already wrote it down. So we're going we're gonna to study it this week. And um, y'all are going to read it, meditate on it, and we'll discuss it next week. Uh, brotherly kindness is a topic that is taught on throughout the New Testament, but there is one book in particular that it's definitely one of the central topics, and that's the First John. So um, just First John chapter 3 and chapter 4. If you want to read the whole book, that's not a bad idea. There's only five chapters, so um, you're welcome to do that. But these two chapters speak much about brotherly kindness and love why it's so important, how it is the uh, a critical fruit that we must see to know and believe, to believe and know that we are authentically born again. And why would that be? Because, because this list of things that we are to add is so that we are, can be partakers in what? Divine nature. Okay, if, if um, the nature of the God of the Bible is love, right, wouldn't we expect that as we begin to partake in his divine nature that love would become our nature? That kindness towards others would become our nature. Yeah. That focus on others preservation of others, care for others. Like, this is, this is who we're called to be. And what, what we'll read in these two chapters is, is you can keep God's commandments all you want. I can keep God's commandments all I want. If it is not manifesting in a love and a care for others, we're absolutely doing it wrong. Absolutely doing it wrong. I don't care how letter of the law accurate we might be. If it is not manifesting in an overflow of love that is outward focused and ultimately for the benefit of others, we're doing it wrong. Or we, or we are way distracted on the wrong things. All right, so I've got a super specific prayer for this congregation that is... Um, 
that we would really, really, really hear what God is saying right now. Really, really hear that we would have the courage to judge the fruit, that we would have the courage to each look in the mirror. I think it's from the Lord that he is saying, don't fool yourself. Look specifically when you make decisions. What's fueling your decision? If it's a commitment to the law, that's the wrong commitment. If it's love for God, that's right. If there's any pride in us, we got to look at the source. If our obedience is humble, we're in a good spot. If the, if the ultimate fruit being produced by our obedience is not a love for others and a care for others and, and caring for others, then some adjustments might need to be made. And those adjustments can, can absolutely be even for those of us that are authentically born again. We can always fall back to the flesh. It's always possible. Okay? So we're going to read 1 John 3, 1 John 4, and next week we'll dig a little bit deeper into brotherly kindness. Father, we, everything I just mentioned, Lord, the courage to, to be honest with ourselves. I pray that that courage and conviction would come by your spirit, that each of us would indeed take the time to, to seek our honest motivation for walking in your ways. And Lord, if there is any need for correction, I pray that you would make it very clear. And Lord, ultimately, if that need for correction is the exposing that any are not authentically born again, I pray that that would be crystal clear. For those that are born again, I pray that you would show us where we are deceived that we would have the, the courage to repent and to return for any that have allowed any first works to slip. I pray for the conviction to return to those. Lord, that our hearts desire to know you and to love you and to be faithful to you and to be devoted to you, that that would be on the forefront of our minds all day, every day. In Jesus' name, amen.